Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Amen. These Sunday scriptures are particularly difficult this week because they are meant to help us understand what it is to be human. They promise us change and upheaval. And our Bible stories usually provide a lens or a prism to explore what we're called to be. And what we're offered is something that perhaps I didn't sign on for. A pattern of dying and rising. Isaiah's wonderful suffering servant and the strange letter to the Hebrews talking about Melchizedek being a priest and a priest is one who offers sacrifice so that the heart of being human is somehow to be part of a sacrificial life. No thank you very much. And then James and John, those brilliant idiots in the scripture, missing the point. Upheaval and change. It was reminding me of the, the old joke about what Adam said to Eve as they left the Garden of Eden. Don't worry, dear, we're going through a period of transition. <laughs> the secret that we're offered here is that living is giving, that we have to find a way of giving ourselves away if we are to be truly human. In Latin, the old adage was Christus regnans in cruce, Christ reigns from the cross. And that we have the service of God whose service is perfect freedom. Now it's all in the context, as you've probably noticed, uh, that there's a midterm election soon upon us. And politicians, and I hope I may have something to offend everybody here, I, Politicians hope for change, and change means more of the same, only better. So getting the material through the mail on all, from all sides and all parties. Most have a comfortable view of change, which allows the big to grow bigger, the powerful to look forward to more power, and even the dispossessed to hope for some share in the action. But it's a view of change, as you've noticed, which blames others and challenges no one on our side to change his or her mind. But we're discovering in our culture that business as usual is not working, if it ever did. And with the increasing velocity of change, things get less predictable and less manageable, and more and more people are falling off the map. And then you think of the political rhetoric, the division in the country, howls of outrage and vows of vengeance. You don't hear much of a shining city on a hill. It's more a narrative of fear and resentment. So you won't hear a word about dedication and sacrifice that we heard from Scripture from politicians of either party. They appeal to us as consumers rather than as citizens. Now, the good news of the gospel is for the ship, it's for the shipwrecked. And if you're not a little shipwrecked, there's nothing much for you here, frankly. If you think you've got it all together and you're comfortable and totally satisfied with everything, then this isn't the place for you. In the 19th century, the French critic Ernest Renan defined a nation 
as a group of people united by a mistaken view about their past and a hatred of their neighbors. And I wonder, is it becoming true of us too? And along with theologian Martin Marty, I reject the distinction between liberal and conservative. The distinction is rather between mean and non-mean conservatives and mean and non-mean liberals. So we like change as long as it upsets no one. It's true in the church too. There's a wonderful scene in the General Synod of the Church of England in the 1980s when they were debating the ordination of women. And one man, one priest got up and said, In this matter, as in so much else in our great country, why cannot the status quo be the way forward? (laughs) Change isn't what it used to be, neither is nostalgia. The status quo will no longer be the best way forward. And so are changes different this time? Are they discontinuous and not part of a pattern? What worries me is in the middle of all this, and that's why these scriptures are so powerful, in the middle of all this there is the neglect of the soul. We fail to notice the terrible risks we take with our inner life, starting with simple neglect. So how far... Have you slipped into being a consumer rather than a person? One of the early mystics put it this way. I shared in the image of God. I shared in the image of God. I shared in the image of God but did not keep it safe. So deprived of attention, the starving spirit weakens and soon can barely make its voice heard above the external din. And so what happens? Well, the church easily becomes the playground for disappointed idealists and as an institution cannot bear the weight of all our resentments, angers and letdowns that life inevitably brings. There's a lot of angry people out there who fancy themselves religious and partly because they don't know how to give themselves away. They don't understand the sacrificial love at the heart of our gospel. Emily Dickinson put it well as she often does And where should we find shelter? And where should we find shelter for joy or mere content when little was left standing but the suburbs of dissent? Now, true religion is about the disposal of the self. It has to do with the way we give ourselves up to something greater than ourselves. So are you a consumer or are you a citizen? Our most fundamental needs for loving, contact, communal reassurance, ritual and ceremony, the list could go on and on, remain unfulfilled. And all those stock market scores, all the trophy homes, the partners and toys disappear down the bottomless void where we're puzzled why we're not happy. The National University of Australia, the Department of Epidemiology, has identified a new epidemic, and note it's from the Department of Epidemiology, and that epidemic is meaninglessness. Meaninglessness as an epidemic. And the fact that our culture can turn even the most deeply spiritual things into a product. They even talk about the mindfulness industry in Silicon Valley now. The mindfulness industry. And unless we feed our inner life, our ability to perceive and savor the outward world in all its form and color, it withers, it shrivels up. And our politicians promise us more of the same, only better. 
a view of change which enables us all to rise on the rising tide of wealth. This works, yes, for a while, for many of us at least, as long as we consume as much as possible and keep going as fast as we can and not look in the rear-view mirror and see the bodies littered on the highway. So part of the glory of the Eucharist is the promise of mystery, this mystery of being alive. In a small piece of bread and a sip of wine, you will find that you can understand yourself more deeply, the sheer gift of life itself. And when the loudest messages we hear are, buy more stuff, you'll feel better, or get it before the other guy does, we start then seeing the world, not through the prism of sacrament and mystery, but through the refracting medium of craving and aversion. We become sort of spiritually autistic. We become people so locked up in themselves that no no one and nothing can get in. So when we come to this table, the wonder and amazement can act like a hand grenade in the soul to break down the walls hemming us in. So we need to take a look at the stewardship of ourselves, the stewardship of our resources, not just money, but time. How do you spend your time and how open are you to change, real change? Are you a consumer or a citizen? And when we become the servants of money and stuff, it makes some of us terminally sad. It's easy to discern a certain melancholy in the American psyche. Oh, and I wanted to say, in spite of my accent, I'm an American. So when I'm saying this, I'm including myself. The social critic, the late Lewis Lapham, insists that the wish to seize every toy in the store produces a sickness of heart and accounts for the strange melancholy that haunts us in the midst of abundance. The suburbs of dissent and resentment are well populated. And what do we get? We get these scriptural images of the suffering servant, the pattern of dying and rising. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And then the notion in the letter to the Hebrews of the word of God, living and active. To to be open and laid bare to God, we have this high priest, this one who offers sacrifice, who is one of us. We can therefore draw near with confidence. And then in the Gospel of Mark, James and John ask to sit one on the right and the other on the left in Christ's glory. Unclear on the concept department, missing the point. The cup we have to drink is one of sacrifice. Strange good news. Who then devised the torment, asked T.S. Eliot. Who then devised the torment? Love. Love is the unfamiliar name behind the hands that wove the intolerable shirt of flame. We only live, only suspire, consumed by either fire or fire. The fire of your own selfishness or the fire of God's love. The secret of being fully alive, giving yourself away. And meanwhile, something is happening to us. We are being formed into something or someone by God's delight in us. God made us out of sheer joie de vivre. The Latin for God so loved the world. Sic Deus dilexit mundum. God so delighted in the world. Can you imagine that you are the object of God's delight? And that is the most real thing about you. Kasuo Ishiguro's novel and movie, Remains of the Day, shows the sadness of the fact that we are all left, all that we're left with is remains. 
The butler, Stephen, slowly comes to realize that he has served a tragically flawed employer and even more slowly to the revelation that he has missed the emotional core of his life. The belated notion, then, that one has missed love and consequently one's life, how a person's life can be shaped by events which he or she has misinterpreted, our own history too, our nation, a group of people united by a mistaken view about the past and a hatred of their neighbors. How about you? Are you a person who is held together by a mistaken view about the past, your past, and a hatred or fear of your neighbors? We often develop a more intimate relationship to our money and property than we do to people. When we don't find a way to give ourselves away, our passion goes rancid and sour. We find that life has passed us by because we couldn't face change and the call to the unknown. We fail to be stewards of ourselves. So what do we do? We focus our attention on the comforts of consumerism and ownership. We are driven by fear and resentment. And in our lovely country, we have this confusion between property and freedom. The belief that the more you own, the freer you are. So freedom has come to mean the freedom to dispose of what is yours in any way you want. So the more you have at your disposal, the more free you are. But what if nothing were yours in the long term? What if you were a steward and not an owner? What about that kind of freedom? St. Paul wrote of being dispossessed so that we might possess all things. The things that really matter, you see, cannot be grasped or dictated to. You can't command a sunset or a piece of music. You cannot force someone to love you. This was C.S. Lewis's insight in Surprised by Joy. He said, joy is an unsatisfied desire that is more desirable than any other satisfaction. You can't possess it. You can't manipulate it. You can't turn it into a product. Our faith then in wealth is both touching and pathetic. The suffering, what was that word years ago that came up? Affluenza. And we celebrate a different kind of reality here. Our true freedom then is found in communion. Being is communion. Communion with the whole world, communion with each other. To be truly free is to be a citizen of God's commonwealth. In The Clowns of God, that novel he wrote many years ago, Morris West said these words. The fact is that we live only in communion, not only with our present but with the past and the future as well. We are haunted by the whole poetry of living, by lullabies half-remembered and the sound of train whistles in the night and the scent of lavender in the summer garden. And we are haunted by grief also and fear and images of childhood terror and the macabre dissolutions of age. But I am sure that it is in the domain of daily dreaming that the Holy Spirit establishes his own communion with us. This is how the gift is given, which we call grace. The sudden illumination, the sharp regret that leads to penitence and forgiveness, the opening of the heart, the opening of the heart to the risk of love. The stewardship of the self, the free donation to give yourself away. Are you a consumer or are you a citizen? We need then to rejoin the human race as God designed it. We call it living the resurrection. 
which is to emerge out of our shadow selves, our counterfeit selves, our pretended selves. You see, our best parts, if left unlived, can be as poisonous as our worst, if left unhealed. I shared in the image of God. I shared in the image of God, but did not keep it safe. So how are you going to live? Our life is about change, about dying and rising, about self-donation, giving ourselves away, being fully alive, receiving in a little piece of bread and a sip of wine the fullness of life. Here's a poem by Naomi Shiab Nye. I think she's a Texan-Palestinian-American. It's called The Art of Disappearing. When they say, don't I know you, say no. If they say we should get together, say why? It's not that you don't love them anymore. You're trying to remember something too important to forget. Trees, the monastery bell at twilight. Tell them you have a new project and it will never be finished. When someone recognizes you in a grocery store, nod briefly and become a cabbage. And when someone you haven't seen in ten years appears at the door, don't start singing him all your new songs. You will never catch up. Here it is. Walk around feeling like a leaf. Know you could tumble any second. Then decide what to do with your time. Then decide as to the true nature of power. Then decide who and what to love. Are you a person who is held together by a mistaken view about the past and a hatred or fear of your neighbors? Choose. Are you a consumer? Are you a citizen? Time is short. And there are these two doctrines that I want to offer you and three habits of heart. The two doctrines, everybody matters, and that means paying attention to the people who haven't mattered in this culture more strongly. Everybody matters, and we're in this together. And the three doctrines are, or the three commands, be amazed, recover amazement, be grateful, and be kind. Walk around feeling like a leaf. Know you could tumble any second. Then decide what to do with your time. And if you're really curious, this bread and wine here, when Augustine held up the bread, he said to the people after he broke it, he said, be what you see, receive who you are. What you get back here is your own self as God sees you. Sic Deus delexit mundum, an act of sheer joie de vivre, loved and known and accepted. And this is good news.